Welcome to Dense in the Darkness, the monthly podcast of the Northeast Collaborative. We empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches here in Northeast America. I'm your host, Tim Madeira from WRGN, and I'm here with NEC's president, Dan Nichols. This month, we have Dr. Ken Davis with us. Dan, why did you want to have Ken come on the podcast today? Okay, Tim, we could spend the entire episode just talking about that question alone. Uh, My first memory of meeting Ken was at a rescue mission in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, It was my first time giving the message at the rescue mission as a college student. And man, Ken just came right up to me afterward and gave me some really positive encouragement. And that meant so much to me. And little did I know uh, he would become an incredibly good friend, mentor, coach, and even give me the opportunity to plant a church with my best friend, Tim, and a a great team. And uh, we moved down to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania in our mid twenties, our early twenties, actually. And I remember Ken really took a chance on us. Uh, He was leading a ministry called Project Jerusalem that he led for 20 years And Northeast Collaborative was birthed from the legacy of this incredible ministry that planted 10 churches in the Northeast. So he's an awesome church planning coach uh, with NEC uh, still, and uh, he's slated to do a breakout at our church uh, uh, conference that we do every year, our annual Northeast Leadership Summit, hashtag NLS22. He's going to talk about church multiplication, one of his favorite subjects that's coming up on November 5th. It is a huge honor for Dr. Ken Davis to join us on the podcast today. It is great to have him with us because he is such an encourager. And I think that's probably, I don't know, is that a spiritual gift? But well, Ken's got it. Uh, Tell us (laughs) about your life, how you came to Christ, your ministry, your journey, your family, all the things that we need to know before we get started, Ken. Okay. Again, thank guys. Thanks for the privilege of being with you today. Hey, I grew up in a pastor's home here in the States and was actually baptized at the age of 12. And uh, really, as I look back, I think I just went through the motions because my friends were being baptized. <laughs> but uh, at the age of 12, my uh, soon after, my family moved to Guyana, South America. At that time, British Guyana was a British colony. And there at the age of 15, I heard a African-American evangelist out of New York City, Tom Skinner. Some may remember him from way back. He was saved out of a gang warfare lifestyle. He was an evangelist, came down to Guyana, and it was during his preaching, during an evangelism crusade, that really I believe I I genuinely came to faith in Christ at the age of 15 and realized I was a sinner and needed uh, Christ to trust Christ alone as my Savior. And uh, I saw my dad planting churches there in Guyana, and that really whet my appetite. And so I came back to the States and and got in a Christian college. And during our college years, we helped start a predominantly black but racially diverse church in the Southeast, uh, one of the first of the kind at that time. And uh, the Lord confirmed through that that he wanted us in church planting. And so we uh, applied to a mission agency, ended up in Indianapolis, planted a couple churches there, and then it ended up in the Northeast there with Project Jerusalem, as Dan recounted there. All right. Yeah. Now, you talk about the we. Who is the we there? Well, of course, my my dear wife. You know, we were married at the age of 21, right out of college. That was, uh, we were just young guys and gals then at that point. But, uh, yeah, we've been a team partnering together for 45 years. We've been involved in church planning off and on. And you have a family? 
Yeah, we have four kids and seven, would you believe, guys, 17 grandchildren across the country and in Canada. So uh, we do a little bit of traveling to keep up with them. All right. Well, that is fantastic. Now, you talked about the fact that you have a heart for church planting. Why do you love it so much? Well, I think I love it because, first of all, I believe it's the passion of our Lord. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I see that as, uh, first of all, we're on the winning side. (laughs) I don't have to build the church. He's building, and I just have to partner with him and join him. Mm. But I also see that, uh, you know, this is his passion, his priority, his uh, primacy in this, the age of the church or the church age, if you will. And uh, so there are many reasons. Biblically, I could go through a number of biblical reasons why we need to be planting churches. Uh, The New Testament record, the book of Acts, we see that this was the pattern of the early church and so forth. We see the command of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. You can't really fulfill that commission unless you plant churches, Mm. if you will. And so really church planting is just evangelism and discipling that results in new churches. It's birthing new churches from the harvest, if you will. And uh, it's not shifting for, uh, around or stealing sheep from other sheep folds. It's not transfer membership growth. It's not church splits. It's not even church revitalizations. It's birthing a new church from the harvest as we do evangelism and church discipling. And I think that's a huge distinction, Ken, because so many pastors, especially most of our listeners uh, on the podcast are established church pastors. And so for a lot of them, when they hear church planning, I think oftentimes they think of splitting. Yeah. They, don't, they don't think of sending, they think of splitting. And what I loved about our journey in church planning was one of the Project Jerusalem church plants, Steamtown, had a vision to send. And so we went into Wilkesbury not as a split, but as being, you know, being sent from a mother church that was having a, a baby, as you will. And you, you have this, uh, you know, baby metaphor that you, you love to use. So I'll just tee you up for that. Yeah. Well, you, you've really hit on something there. There are many ways the churches are planted and there's no one right way, but birthing out of a, a mother church is probably the very best way to do it because we've got people that usually are sent out. There's funding, there's prayer support. And so uh, we don't have, end up with a lone ranger out here in a new community all by himself, if you will. Yeah. It's a challenge because a lot of people are down on, as Dan kind of alluded to, a new church starting in an area, especially if they see another church that's still in that area that's been around for 30, 40, 50, or 100 years. And Mm -hmm. they look at that and they go, well, why are they doing that? Why don't they just come alongside of what we're doing? What do you say to that? Well, and I hear that all the time. That's one of the big objections you hear sometimes, sadly, in my view, from pastors, Mm -hmm. why they don't want to support church planting or be even sending people out, as Dan said. And that is that, uh, why don't we just revitalize the existing older churches that are struggling? And I would say, first of all, it's a lot easier to have babies than raise the dead. Okay. (laughs) That's so true. And that didn't originate with me, by the way. (laughs) But anyhow, a lot of uh, churches are plateaued, they're dying, and they're not going to make it. Mm. And and the, the fact is that 4,000 churches die every year in America. About 3,700 are planted. So we're not even keeping up, you see. 
So we need to be planning. That's a practical, pragmatic reason beyond the biblical reasons, just to keep up with the population growth, with the churches that are dying and not making it. So really, when it comes right down to it, it's not a question of should we church revitalize or plant new churches? It's both and. Mm. Some men will have a call to church revitalization, and some will have a call to church planting. It's both and. Well, one thing I'm noticing as I've transitioned to this church here, and I've talked about this on the podcast, so I just took a church that's 220 years old. Mm. And God has done good things here, but in 220 years, this church has never multiplied. This church has never had birthed a child as, as you know, to use that metaphor. So that's one of the things that one of the reasons they wanted me to come was because they really have that vision. They're just not sure how to go about it, what it looks like, how to do it in a healthy way. And so I think healthy things grow, healthy things multiply. And I love how JD Greer says we need to measure success, not by seeding capacity, but by sending capacity. And when we can change that value system, that'll help a lot. Yeah, you've just alluded to a great book there that I really recommend to pastors, and that's J.D. Greer's book, Gaining by Losing. And he makes that statement in that book. Every pastor in America needs to read it because his church has started just scores and scores of churches all over America. I think they have a goal of starting a thousand, and they've sent out just over 500 of their own people and trained up church planners. So, yeah, he makes that statement, Dan. You're right that the measure of the success of a church is not its, its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And by the way, in the area of church revitalization, let me come back to that. The research shows that the best way to win lost people to Christ and do evangelism is through planting new churches, not through church revitalization. Mm. That's, that's another practical reason for church planting. You see, I'm a little biased. Yeah, right. <laughs> I lean in that direction. But. <laughs> well, I don't understand at times why we have such a hard time with that. I mean, if a family, a couple gets married and they have kids, we go, this is great. You know, we're adding family. And at the same time, we look at a new church that may come out of another church and go, well, wait a minute, why that? And, and maybe try and grow the seating capacity instead of doing that plan. But it's because yeah. the success metrics are wrong. It's, it's been yeah. B, B3, butts, buildings, budgets. As long <laughs> yeah. as people are, you know, how many people are showing up? How much money do we have at the bank? And is our building taken care of? And so when you lose people either to another church plant or something else, and it's in the same city, I, that was one of the first things we did in Wilkesbury. I met with every pastor I could. And I said, we are not here to take your people. We are here for the 96% at that time of people who don't claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm not sure exactly how the metrics have changed, but I hope since Restored has been there and not just Restored, but other churches in Luzerne County, that it's not that way anymore. And, and, and Tim, you hit upon something I think is very important. You mentioned a young couple and, uh, you know, having children. It's just natural, right? We don't have to teach them how to do that. And a couple who wouldn't want to have children and did everything to prevent it, we might in Christian circles and say they're a little selfish, right? We'd question that. But churches do that all the time. There are, more church, there are more churches on the pill than humans, probably. <laughs> Not quite. But I, I say that because what I advocate is planned parenthood. I say that in conservative circles, and I get a lot of raised eyebrows. What I mean by that is <laughs> in, intentional church planting, right? Intentional birthing of a daughter church. It shouldn't be an accident. You know what? Accidental 
church planning is a church split. A church split. That's right. That's why in a lot of in a lot of communities you'll see First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, Third Baptist Church. Uh, How did you look historically? How did they get started? They were all split offs, you know. But God's plan is that healthy churches, as Dan alluded to, would be reproducing regularly. And that uh, reproduction dynamic, I believe, goes all the way back to creation, if I could, if I could do that. We, at creation, God told the plants, the animals, and mankind, he gave them all a similar cl- command. What was it? Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And I would contend that every living, healthy organism will reproduce naturally. So reproduction is natural and expected. And it is with humans, it is with plants, with animals. And the church, too, is a organism. It's not an organization, primarily, right? And so if it's a healthy organism, it should be reproducing itself. And unfortunately, sometimes we treat it more like an organization than an organism. Yeah, you know, and I like to say, as an analogy of this, the true fruit of an apple tree is not another apple, but another apple tree. In other words, if you take the seeds of an apple and you plant them in the ground, what do you get? Another apple tree. Mm. So the true fruit of another disciple is more disciples. The true fruit of a a leader is more leaders. The true fruit of a local, healthy local church is more churches. You see, that's the analogy that that pastors need to understand. Now, the last two years have been interesting, to say the least. So as we look at churches and church planting, how has it impacted churches and church planting? Tim, that's a great question. And, you know, obviously it's been tough. But I found that some planters who are really visionary have seen uh, the epidemic as as not an obstacle to ministry, but a, a renewed opportunity. And they found ways to use live streaming services and Zoom to even increase their their weekend attendances and to serve, you know, the hurting in their communities. And so they've taken advantage of it, if you will. And obviously, church planners, like a lot of pastors, uh, have found that people are disoriented. They're out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so they're really still more open. They're more open to the gospel, to the good news. They're finding creative ways to reach out to them. Why do we have a hard time making that transition? Is it because we're holding on so tightly to the past? Yeah, and traditional modes of doing church, you know. It was hard for a lot of older churches and even some church planners to get in even to live streaming and use the technology that God has given us today. But praise God for the technology that we have, you know. So the young guys who have been visionary made use that have done well. The the other problem, you know, is that like a lot of pastors uh, in well-established churches, church planners have had to deal with division among their people over wearing masks and vaccinations. Mm. And, you know, they've seen some of their people maybe leave, but as a whole, their attendances have rebounded, we have found, and the research has shown. But, you know, rain or shine, in good times and bad, Jesus is still building his church, even in the midst of COVID and praise God for that. And I think that's something we got to keep in perspective too, just about church history is that the church has always thrived in times of suffering and persecution and hardship. And obviously anyone, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not is experiencing the pandemic. So it's not necessarily persecution, but I think 
you know, th- this is highlighting the fact that if anyone should be able to weather the worst case scenarios, it should be those of us who love and, and serve King Jesus and belong to him. And I think that, like you said, it's an opportunity to show a watching world that living for Jesus is worth it. Mm. Yeah. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Persecution, distress, hunger, danger, sword. No, none of that. Yeah. And church planners tend to be very entrepreneurial, out of the box, creative thinkers. And so they have found ways <laughs> to do evangelism, to do outreach, and to build their churches and ministries. Now, one of our Northeast collaborative church planners, Kevin Green, actually launched in the midst of COVID. And that would be foolhardy, you would think, but he's done well by the yes. grace of God. So mm. a few guys have done it and actually launched during these years. So they've actually taken the brave step and seen some fruit from it. And, and I think that is fantastic. Now, what do you see as the obstacles as we now move into a, a bit more open time as people are beginning to you know get back into the routine of things for both church planting and then also church multiplication, church growth? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think one of the biggest obstacles here in the future, I find, is a guy who studies church planning and has for a number of years, is the the funding is going to become a huge issue. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to need to to really raise the bar for bivocational church planning, for co-vocational church planning. And the distinction is the bivocational guys will start out in the marketplace with a secular job. And as soon as the church is ready to be self-supporting, they'll let the church take on their full salary. The, mm-hmm. the, the Covo guys, they intend to stay in the marketplace the whole time because they feel they have more contacts with lost people. So that's one of the big issues I think we're going to have to deal with is, is the funding. Let me, and let me just say that we're going to have to look at in this area alternative and multiple sources and streams of income. For example, I'm finding that some church planners, this is interesting now, are partnering with nonprofit organizations in their neighborhoods, like a YMCA. And maybe we provide volunteers for them during the week. And the the partnership value is they provide a building for us on the weekend, which we don't have to go out and rent. Mm. And some guys will need to even partner with for-profit organizations. Like maybe they they start or work with a coffee shop or a daycare ministry. And we actually did a podcast uh, early on uh, talking to a pastor that is partnering. I can't remember, Dan, if it was a a for-profit or a non-profit that would also benefit and fund the church. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a lot of different definitions even for what you're talking about ken of of co-vocational so like the way i've heard it your your paradigm is interesting i've heard it used in terms of a marketplace job that syncs more effectively with ministry for instance like a coffee shop you make money from running the coffee shop but you are also doing ministry as you're at the coffee shop whereas bivocational it's more like you're super limited in terms of your ministry, because you have to stick with whatever your uh, employers need you to do. And then you use your extra time to do ministry, but co-vocational is more, you get to do ministry as you're making money in the process. Have you heard it used yeah, that way? That, that, that's a good way of putting it. Come over Project some guys were definitely bivocational, by the way. Another mm-hmm. big challenge, Tim, coming back to your question is that we've got to respond to the growing ethnic diversity that we're seeing in our nation, in our cities, in our communities. Do you realize that by the year 2042, guys, we're going to be a majority minority nation? 
that is minorities collectively, collectively, blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, so forth, are going to be in the majority and Caucasians are going to be in the minority. That's already true with, with their children by the year 20. It will be true by the year 2023. Do you realize there are over 449 unreached people groups that a sovereign God has brought here to our nation? Mm. So what does this mean? We're going to have to be starting a lot of intentionally multi-ethnic churches in the future and also some ethnic-specific language and uh, ethnic churches. For example, first-generation Hispanics. We are the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world today. Mm. And so we've got to be starting a lot of ethnic specific and uh, language churches as well. So reaching the the growing ethnic population is going to be a huge challenge. Uh, challenge. Another one, Tim, would be the challenge of our cities. Right now, 80 percent of our North American population is is living in a big urban area. And that's where the majority of the 230 million unreached people in North American Canada live in the big cities. Mm-hmm. And so as Tim Keller and others have been raising the horizons for big cities, that's where we need to go because that's where the vast majority of lost people who need our savior are living, if you will. And then another challenge, if I could mention one more, is that we're going to have to double and triple the rate of our church planning here in the United States just to address the population explosion and the anticipated number of church closures of older congregations. And if we're going to reach the Gen Gen Zs and the unchurched and the de-churched, we're going to have to plant a lot more new churches. I think it's great to hear those types of things because too often, especially churches that are established, think, I'm doing the work here. Why do we need to plant another church? But the fact of the matter is there's like 96% unchurched out there. Yeah. We, we just had a memorial at our longtime established church here, um, started in 1801 when Thomas Jefferson was president. Huh. And we had this memorial. There was an intern working with the funeral director and I started talking with her and I asked her one of my favorite questions just to see where people are at. I said, what's your spiritual background? Now, this is a young lady in her early 30s. She looked me dead in the eye and she said, no one has ever asked me that question in my entire life. Mm-hmm. This is someone working in the funeral field right. who is around death all the time. Around pastors think, all the time. Around man. pastors all the time. Yeah. And, and I said, well, have you ever read the Bible for yourself? She's like, well, I've read the dictionary. And I was like, listen, the Bible's way better than the dictionary. The believe same me. Thing. <laughs> but like, here's the deal. The, the, the point at which, and Ken has done an amazing job through his whole ministry of highlighting this for church planners like me is church planting really is the proven most effective evangelistic strategy to reach people who are far from God. And if we can really see church planting for what God wants it to be, not uh, reshuffling the deck and just kind of being cooler than other churches, but Mm -hmm. actually reaching people who don't, again, like this young lady, never asked before what her spiritual background was, had never even thought about it in 30 years of life. That is, that's the why, I think, for church planning. Again, let me emphasize, there are 230 million unchurched and unreached people here in North America. Yes. Rather, in our country. Mm -hmm. So, we are the fifth largest unchurched nation in the world. You know, China and India are ahead of us and so forth. Mm -hmm. But those are stats that most American pastors probably are not aware of. Mm -hmm. You know? 
there's lots of opportunities is basically what you're saying. We need yes. to be taking advantage of them. Even established churches, my daughter is about to move this summer into a work that is beginning a church plant because of growth out of their church. And, and to me, this is exciting because we are giving people an opportunity to start something that God has called us to as believers. And unfortunately, we become complacent in the church that we're in or in the people group that we're in, and we just have the desire to coast along and enjoy, and that's not what we're called to. Yeah, and Kim, you hit something there, and that is that a lot of churches and pastors get into what I call a maintenance mode of ministry, and they're satisfied with the status quo, you know. And we're not going to reproduce if we have that kind of an attitude. We need to be in a multiplication mode of ministry, mm-hmm. not a maintenance mode of ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, what encouragement can you share for pastors? Because I just came down on pastors like a ton of bricks here. What <laughs> encouragement can you share for them who are who are in the thick of it right now and maybe feeling like, yeah, I know I'm in maintenance mode, but I don't want to be here? Yeah. You know, there, there are two bedrock theological truths that have really helped me to persevere when I've been down and discouraged as a church planner that I'd like to share with pastors. And, and one is, I keep repeating this, Matthew 16, 18, the promise of our Lord that I will build my church. I don't care how dismal it looks in your ministry, even if you think your community's hardened, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. That's right. And if we'll be on the offensive for him with the gospel and advance with the gospel, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So that's the first thing. I keep reminding myself and pastors. I got to keep reminding myself. Second thing is, you know, the big dark truth for me is is the sovereignty of God. And the Lord has his elect in every city. You know, the Lord promised, here my theology is going to come through. But (laughs) you remember what the Lord promised Paul in Acts chapter 18? He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and I have many people in this city who are my people. Yes. And so he's basically saying, Paul, keep doing the work of the evangelist, be modeling it, and God's going to give you fruit. And he gives him three promises there. I'm going to be with you. Hey, I'm going to protect you in your ministry, and I will give you much fruit. Mm. And that, that's a great promise for pastors as well as for church planners, mm-hmm. you know. And then the final encouragement that I would give for pastors is Revelation chapter 5. Let's remember the big picture. We're on the winning side, guys. That's right. The gates of hell <laughs> one, won't prevail day, against yeah, us. <laughs> well, yeah, and one day rather, gathered around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping him, will be people from every tribe and language and people and nation worshiping him. You know, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. Mm. We just have to be faithful and fruitful and do our part. Well, you have been faithful, Ken, and we always learn a lot when we get a chance to talk to you. Uh, You are continuing through what has been quite a long-term cancer journey. And we want to know how we can pray for you, uh, your cancer journey, your family, and as you continue to minister to us as, as we have been even on this podcast. I appreciate that, Tim. You know, I'm, I'm six and a half years, by the grace of God, with stage four prostate cancer journey. And the last two years have been pretty 
pretty rough where I've gone through lots of, I won't go into detail, targeted radiation chemotherapy, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll give you some prayer, prayer needs. I appreciate the opportunity. One would be wisdom for my oncologist and my doctors and what my next steps will be. I will, I will finish my sixth chemo session session next week. And then I'm, I'm, and so the next request is that the chemo will have arrested the growth of the cancer in my body and uh, if not killed some of the cancer cells so I can continue my ministry long-term. And uh, another request would be that really the Lord would help me to maintain a joyful spirit. Count it all joy when you enter various trials. That's not been easy. And really a vibrant testimony to the doctors and nurses and people in the medical community that I've had chance to uh, rub shoulders with in recent years. I'm near the Cleveland Clinic, so I'm up there quite a bit now. What a great place. The, the final request probably is I'm writing a book right now, a second book, actually, for church planners. It'll be six chapters. I've got two chapters done. Mm. And I appreciate your prayers that God would help me to be able to finish that because I, I think it's going to fill a niche by the grace of God in the church planting literature for guys who are just beginning church planting. And uh, so I would pray, for, I'd ask your prayer for that. Oh, the other thing is, by the way, you heard me say I've got 17 grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So my final request is I've been praying this for a number of years is the Lord would keep me around to be able to see the graduation of all 17 of my grandkids and that I would be able to invest well in each of their lives mm. for the glory of God. That's really my biggest <laughs> concern and passion right now. Well, we will certainly pray with you for that, Ken. And I love the idea, by the way, of a six-chapter book. I just uh, was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was uh, talking about the joy of short books. I don't know (laughs) if they're long chapters or not, Ken, but uh, the joy of short books can be really good because a lot of times we can get lost in the weeds in a big book. So we are going to pray that God will give you the strength that you need to finish that book to help church planners because that's what we're all about here at Dense in the Darkness as we empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America.